0: Welcome to FNS Wrestling Podcast. I'm back in the basement, probably for the first of at least two times today, maybe three, depending how much time I can find to talk about some wrestling with you folks. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. The wrestling du jour that I'm going to talk about is Saturday night's uh, Impact Wrestling Bound for Glory pay-per-view this time. Uh, If you didn't notice, we did put out episode 66 a couple days ago on Saturday. That's myself and my wrestling-obsessed teenage son, Jackson, talking about NXT, Impact Wrestling, some trivia, some news and rumors, and some other stuff. Normally, we include AEW Dynamite in that Saturday show as well, but since they uh, pushed their show to Saturday night, we're actually going to come back down here later today and talk about AEW only, and that will probably be labeled under episode 66B, so keep an eye out for that. In addition, I'll be back either today or tomorrow to talk about Ring of Honor. I think it's episode 527 I'm up to now. That will be a solo mission where it's just myself. My son's not watching Ring of Honor. My son did not watch Bound for Glory with me either, so this will also be a solo mission, but I think we should just get right into it because I don't really have much to say. I got a lot of wrestling to talk about today that I'm Pretty excited to talk about some parts of this show at least. So I say we get right into it and discuss Saturday night's Impact Wrestling Bound for Glory. So I believe Bound for Glory is what Impact Wrestling would consider their largest pay-per-view of the year. I'm pretty sure, like kind of like their WrestleMania, I guess. I could be wrong, but I believe that is the case. So uh, I watched this show, full disclosure, I watched almost the entire thing in one sitting and then went back and watched the final two matches a little bit later. Just things were busy, my parents came up to visit, et cetera, et cetera. But I did check out everything. I also went back and actually watched the Digital Media Championship six-way match, which was on the pre-show. I watched that last because I just started from the show proper and went through that way. But I did go back and check that out, and that's the first thing I will talk about here. So it was on the pre-show. It's the Digital Media Championship six-way match. Also inter- intergender, I guess we should include. So it's John Skylar Falaba, Chelsea Green, Jordan Grace, Crazy Steve, and Madison Rain. Madison Rain was a late addition replacing, again, we don't know why, Tenille Dashwood. They've still, I haven't seen any reason as to why she was removed, if it was injury, if it was anything else. But she was taken out of the match and replaced by Madison Rain. And this match is competed, contested under Lucha Libre rules, meaning if someone exits the ring, the next person in becomes the legal person, basically. Um, So this match did not get a lot of time, and basically there was a a fair bit of action because they got about five minutes here, so they kind of flew through this, and I don't know what the plan is for this championship. I'm not super excited about it, just because I'm sort of tired of being expected to keep up with the product's internet stuff as well. It's my main problem with AEW. I love AEW. Dynamite is by far the best thing in wrestling right now that I watch. But sometimes the expectation of and they actually don't do it a ton. They do have a whole bunch of internet shows that I don't keep up with, and that's where a lot of these performers sort of pad their records because their records matter in AEW. So they'll they'll show up, uh, you know, on Dynamite and they're sixteen and four, and I haven't seen them wrestle in months. So. Um, It's just tough to, I watch a lot of wrestling as it is. So for a company to also expect that I'm gonna be checking out internet matches is asking a bit too much, but I get what they're doing here. It is a medium that a lot of people are using, obviously. So I think they're kind of, impact sort of the first ones here to attach a championship to that. I don't know what it's gonna look like going forward, but this was the match to decide who that was. So I thought in this, Jordan Grace looked really good. There was one sequence against Fala where she looked really good. Just the combination of speed and power on Jordan Grace is impressive. And then John Schuyler came up behind, uh, hit her with a cheap shot. We had uh, Chelsea Green with a missile drop kick to Schuyler after that. And then a little bit later, Madison Rain hits a DDT to Crazy Steve. We had Green hitting a curb stomp to Madison Rain. And then Grace sort of has uh, Chelsea Green up in a muscle buster. And as she's carrying her around the ring, she's still has the strength and um, awareness to clothesline Madison Rain before hitting the Muscle Buster in a sort of impressive power spot for Jordan Grace. We get Steve applying Rosemary's upside down move in the ropes to two people at the same time. I believe it was Chelsea Green and Madison Rain. And then a couple other people, I think Ba Irish whipped someone into that pile as well, and he basically ends up corner splashing four people at once. We then get John Schuyler with a pretty impressive looking... He has uh, Crazy Steve up in a fireman's carry and hits a second rope roll-through slam on Steve that looked good. And then I think that was basically near the finish. He goes to shove somebody else out of the ring, kind of turns around and ends up taking the Grace driver from Jordan Grace. So she pins John Skyler to win the first ever digital media championship in about five minutes. So again, it was kind of too short to be really good, but it was fine. Like there was pretty much everybody got a little bit of something in Um, There was a fair amount of action in this short match. Jordan Grace looked really good. She is one of my favorite knockouts for sure uh, in this division. One of my favorite women's wrestlers probably across any promotion. I just think she's a unique combination of speed and immense power. Uh, So I was really happy to see her win. That would have been my prediction. I think we actually did talk about it on episode 66 that I, I had a feeling that this was sort of designed for her. She does have a pretty big social media following if I'm not mistaken. Um, and of the sort of competitors that were listed for this match, it made sense that she was the one that came out victorious. So I don't know, it was a decent little sprint, I guess, but nothing really major came out of that match. So the show proper, as I like to say, begins and it starts out with a high, uh, highlight package so, sort of uh, summarizing and talking about the main event feud, which is Josh Alexander, mostly focusing on him here ahead of his Impact World Championship match against Christian tonight. So he talks about his love of the X-Division title, people specifically named like Samoa Joe, AJ Styles, and Loki. We then get footage of his family and how excited his kids were when he brought the X-Division championship home. And now he can't imagine how excited they will be if he actually can bring the Impact championship home, the, the heavyweight championship, I guess, or world championship. So, I mean, this was another fantastic... I've loved the build to this feud so far. Uh, this was felt realistic again we're incorporating his family we're really getting to know josh alexander through these sort of uh, vignettes and promos and things which is he's always been fantastic in the ring but as the sort of tag team partner of the confident talker in ethan page sometimes josh alexander would sort of shrink into the background so my hope is that they would develop him as a single star and that they're getting ready for him to sort of take the torch and be the face of the company. And it felt like that's where these uh, promos and the whole build for this match is coming to. So I thought this was just another terrific installment in the build for this match. So um, he came across here as a lifelong wrestling fan, which he is, and also an Impact fan specifically, talking about how he sort of has always loved the X Division and how he would tell people that their matches were almost always going to be the match of the night on any show, which was true for a large amount of time. So again, the build for this match has been fantastic. Just another great segment to start this show, I thought. Then we get Harley Cameron in my notes with a question mark behind it because I have no idea who that is. A pop performer. Star might be too strong a word. I don't know. I've literally never heard of her before. But anyway, she comes out and lip syncs. And she's not a great lip syncer. Like, it, it took about three seconds to identify that she's not, in fact, singing this song. But anyways, it doesn't really matter. It might be a better choice than have her perform live. It might have sounded worse. But clearly lip syncing as the inspiration, formerly known as the Iconics in WWE, um, sort of make their entrance in what I thought, and I don't usually comment on this, usually it's my son who's the detail person about um, sort of entrance stages and ring gear and stuff like that, but I thought their ring gear was terrible. So I'm colorblind and my son was actually there for this, so I asked him And he said it was a light color of gold and he didn't like it either because it was very close to their skin tone. And I just, they looked washed out. I don't know if that's the right word again, not being a person who's good with colors, but I thought they did not look good. And this was them making their debut appearance in a new company. So I wasn't a fan of the gear and normally I don't care that much, but I really didn't think it looked good. But that does take us to our opening match, which is Inspiration. Now using the names Cassie Lee, which was formerly Peyton Royce, I guess, and Jesse McKay, which was Billy Kay in WWE. So they are taking on the current champions in Decay, represented by Rosemary and Havoc, for the Knockouts Tag Team Championships here. So, Inspiration have still obviously brought the pose they do as the Iconics, which I do quite enjoy. It kind of amuses me almost every time. So, they use that right away after Rosemary tries to scare them to start this match. And then I noticed a few minutes in that the lighting on this show is not very good. It seems a lot darker than usual, especially anytime they're showing competitors or anybody outside the ring. Like as soon as you get to ringside and beyond, it is a very dark setup. Um, it didn't end up bothering me. It's just something I noted kind of early on here. So Rosemary and McKay, i got to get used to these new names, they kind of battle to no real advantage to start before they both tag out. And then Havoc kind of dominates both of her opponents with her power. I thought she looked um, pretty good here, especially kind of demolishing Cassie Lee. So I have to keep checking back for their, their current names. So Havoc again looking good in hitting some power spots here. She ends up getting low-bridged and sent to the floor. McKay takes control of Rosemary before some pretty cool-looking double-teaming by the Inspiration here. We get a Backbreaker-Spear combo by Decay a little bit later for a near fall that looked pretty nice. Then there's a bit more of Havoc dominating before the Inspiration sort of post her twice in the ring, so running her shoulder into the ring, and then out on the floor into the ring post one more time to sort of take her out. So obviously this leaves Rosemary alone in the ring. And the Inspiration hit a powerbomb-neckbreaker combo, which I guess will be their combination finisher. So they win this match. They become the new Knockouts champions in their first match in Impact in just about nine minutes for this match. Um, I thought it was a decent match. It probably over-delivered for me because, no offense to them, but the Inspiration are not necessarily known for their in-ring work. They didn't look amazing here. I think Peyton is a little bit ahead of Billy Kay in her in-ring but they were still solid here the match flowed really well and it kept my interest so I thought havoc particularly looked good as the powerhouse and the fact that they sort of played that up and she needed to be taken out for the um not the iconics sorry what are their names again the inspiration so havoc needed to sort of be removed from the equation for the inspiration to have a chance to win and I thought that made sense and sort of kept havoc looking strong um the Decay didn't engage in any of their like shenanigans. There was no mist or no teleporting, which I always appreciate, so I like that. I thought it was a solid opener. My fear was that this would feel like pretty much like an impact television match, and it didn't really. It felt a little bit more than that. So it's like a notch or two above a TV match, I would say. So putting the belts on Inspiration right away makes sense to me because it's their character work rather than their in-ring work. That's their strength. I think most people would agree with that. They are amusing. They are funny. They are really good together. Clearly, they've been friends a really long time. They have excellent chemistry together outside of the ring more than inside of it at this point. So I think they'll make really entertaining heel champions. So I thought this was a pretty good start to the show. It wasn't uh, an absolute banger of an opener, as you would hope for on a pay-per-view, but it over-delivered. We got a debut of a new team in ring. We got a, um, a title change sort of thing. So it was a, mostly a satisfying opener, I thought. So Gia Miller, who's the backstage interviewer at Impact, she's talking to Deanna. And actually, I think Gia does a great job, by the, well, by the way. I don't mention it very often, but I think she is excellent in her role. And it's only her which I like to. It's consistently Gia backstage talking to everybody, which I like. So she's talking to Deanna Perazzo about not being able to have Matthew Raywalt at ringside for her match against Mickey James tonight. Deanna says it's not fair because James started everything. And she came to Impact alone and dominated, so she'll be fine tonight. Meaning Deanna came alone and has dominated. She and Raywalt enjoy each other's company, but he's not necessary for her to win. Uh, Some may consider Mickey James a legend, she goes on to say, but Deanna is not starstruck, and she'll break both of Mickey's arms tonight. So another solid heel promo from Perazzo, as she tends to do. She is just an all-round fantastic professional wrestler in the ring, out of the ring, character work, mic work. She's got it all, in my opinion. One of my favorite women in wrestling. I know I just said that about Jordan Grace, but it's true about Deanna Perrazzo. I feel like the top, top, top of the knockouts division with those two is really strong, and then there's a pretty steep drop-off from there, uh, in my opinion. That's why they're bringing in people like Mickey James from other promotions to sort of challenge Perazzo for the title, because honestly, there isn't anyone realistic uh, that... That right now looks like they could take Perazzo the way they've been built in Impact. There are no reasonable challengers for Perrazo, in my opinion. So they brought somebody in from an outside company, which is fine. I really think the build for this match between Perazzo and Mickey James has been really good as well. You'll hear me talk about it a lot probably in this review. I give Impact a lot of credit for the build for the Mickey James-Diana uh, Perrazzo match, as well as the Alexander-Christian main event. I think that it's just been two very strong builds for in professional wrestling matches. So the next match we get is the triple threat match for the X Division Championship. We have El Fantasmo versus Macklin versus Trey Miguel. So each of these men won a triple threat match to qualify for this one for the championship. So this match and the main event were honestly the two matches I was looking forward to the most with the women's championship probably being a close third. And not because of the build to this match, because I really didn't think it was that great. It was fine, like it was a bunch of X Division guys competing in matches to get here. Uh, But more due to the possibility of this just being a super entertaining in-ring and maybe stealing the show kind of thing, as X Division um, tends to do, as Josh Alexander has talked about in his promos leading up to tonight. Uh, So I've personally enjoyed what I've seen from ELP. Uh, sorry, El Phantasmo. In matches, I think they need to sort of develop him more as a character. Let him speak. Let us learn something about him. But in ring, he's very fluid, very graceful. I've enjoyed watching him. And Macklin, I think... I mean, I never thought I'd be saying I'm a fan of Macklin. I think he's been pre- presented amazingly well. He's also kind of low-key undefeated, I'm pretty sure. Um, he has looked amazing. His He had an amazing promo last week. Um his in-ring style is super aggressive, It looks really good, and I kind of like that contrast being put into the X Division, because you normally think of like the high flyers, the lighter guys, but here comes Macklin, just smash-mouth aggressive style. So I really like that contrast in the X Division, and Trey Miguel is Trey Miguel. So he is lightning fast, really smooth, but my criticism is always the same with Trey Miguel's a lot of his offense does not look like it has much impact so he's lightning quick and he does all this cool stuff but when it comes time to his kicks or anything else I just find they're not very impactful so I struggle sometimes with Trey Miguel but as an addition to a match like this where I was hoping either of the other competitors will win he's a welcome addition right he's going to have some be involved in some really cool spots either delivering or taking offense so I don't mind him being added here he's not my favorite x division competitor by any means but I have no problem with him here so this match starts out really quickly with Trey in control of both Macklin uh, sorry both competitors before Macklin grounds him with the shot from behind then the heels take turns chopping Trey in the corner ELP not a big fan he's basically nipple twisting Macklin who basically no-sells it and doesn't care we have Trey with the Northern Lights to Macklin, while he has ELP and a leg lock, so sort of delivering offense to both men at the same time. Separate offense, which is kind of cool. Sometimes overdone in impact between Trey Miguel and uh, TJP, who's constantly applying um, submissions to multiple people. It gets a bit tired, but this was fine here. El Fantasma has a really nice fluid sequence, ending with a springboard moonsault to Macklin. He then walks the ropes. He's got, a, I think it was a knuckle lock on Macklin, and El Fantas walking along the ropes. And you've got Trey coming to sort of get a move in, but he jumps over Trey, lands on the ropes cleanly, and then hits a hurricane run at of Macklin, which was a pretty cool spot. We got a simultaneous DDT and a flatliner by Macklin to both men. That was cool. Macklin has both of them up in the Tree of Woe in opposite corners, hits his running spear to the upside down El Phantasmo. It's one of his signature moves, Macklin's that is, that I think looks excellent and it's really simple. Uh, but Trey escapes as uh, Macklin goes for the same move for him. But Trey then goes for a handspring off the ropes and Macklin spears him as he's right against the ropes in that handspring, spears him through the ropes to the floor as Trey's upside down. I thought it looked awesome. A really cool variation on his corner upside down shoulder tackle looked great. We get two dives onto Trey on the floor by Macklin, a moonsault by uh, El Phantasmo to Macklin on the floor. Trey then with, as I think uh, Macklin is trying to throw him into the ring and he kind of rebounds off the ropes and hits a cutter on the floor to El Phantasmo which looked really good as well. El Phantasmo hits a super Rana to Trey, who ends up taking that and landing on top of Macklin on the mat. And then El Phantasmo hits a top rope splash to Macklin for a two count. We get a double powerbomb with a sit out on the second one by Macklin to El Phantasmo. And then Macklin catches Trey off a top rope Meteora, which was pretty impressive. But he gets taken out by kicks from both opponents and Macklin is sort of sent out to the floor. ELP goes for he's been punching people low lately so he goes for that nut punch on Trey but Trey's one step ahead reveals that he's wearing a cup and he hits a brain buster heads up top for a Meteora picks up the win becomes the X division champion in almost 13 and a half minutes so I thought this was a pretty excellent match despite I'm not a fan of the outcome at all out of the three Trey was the one I least wanted to win uh but I think they're sort of rewarding him at this point for signing with Impact Wrestling after the rest of the Rascals went on to NXT and are now MSK in NXT. So he's getting a title run here. Um, and he is a popular wrestler with the fans, so I, I guess that's okay. But the match was pretty great regardless. Really cool combination of styles in this one. You've got the lightning quick high flyer in Trey. You've got the smooth, graceful El Phantasmo. And then your aggressive powerhouse in Macklin. There were some great spots in this. Everyone got a chance to look good. Macklin didn't take the pin, which I figured if he didn't win, that would be the case. So he can continue. Not that he's really talked about it much, but I'm pretty sure he's undefeated. And he can still cling to that because he didn't take the pin here. He technically didn't lose the match, I guess. I don't like the decision to put the belt on Trey. I don't think it helps him much. I don't think it elevates Trey. I don't think it um, elevates the championship myself. But um, I don't know. I, he... I think I would have put it on probably El Fantasmo, just because North American Bullet Club to me has been underwhelming and they need some legitimization that I think them having some gold. I was kind of wondering if they'd come out of this with the X Division and the Tag Team Championships. We'll get to that later. But I think the Bullet Club in North America is just kind of there. They're not really doing. Sure, they recruited Chris Bay, who's fantastic. I love Chris Bay. But they're really not doing much. So I was kind of hoping we'd get some sort of elevation of North American Bullet Club but we're not from this match. Um, my only criticism I think it could have gone a bit longer. It You could have put an extra couple minutes here maybe cut. There's some matches I could recommend cutting from this show or at least giving it less time on this show that could have gone to this but I thought it was a really highly enjoyable match. I might have put this as the opener. This is more what I'm looking for in an opener like a hot match with some cool spots and a triple threat is even better for me. I'm one of the people that still enjoys triple threat matches. So I might have moved this to the opener, but I thought it was a really good match and at the end of the day probably could have been a couple more minutes, but still really fun. So we go back to Gia Miller. Now she's talking to Mickey James about her match with Deanna Perazzo tonight. Mickey tells Gia that Deanna Perazzo is in fact her toughest challenge to date and she puts over Deanna's ability and her title reign, but Deanna made a mistake by making things personal and coming to Mickey's house. And over the last eight years, Mickey's toughest opponent has been herself and her self-doubt. So sort of stealing some of Adam Page's from AEW storyline, it looks like. She says tonight is about proving to herself that she's worthy of holding a championship again. I thought Mickey did a good job here. She seemed honestly emotional in this. Um, it didn't really feel like acting. It looked like she was sort of getting choked up a little bit by coming back and having a title match so that was pretty cool Um, and I guess it feels real to her that she is sort of proving herself in this match uh, because she's working in sort of an executive capacity for NWA at this point even though she did just have a match at NWA 73 I think it was but uh, she has not been wrestling a ton so she's looking to prove herself and win a major championship here tonight. We then get a recap of the issues between Heath, Rhino and Violent by Design which I, you can tell by my audible sigh, I've sort of grown tired of. I thought Violent by Design was pretty cool in the beginning, but they're all talk pretty much and no action. They talk about just being this dominant sort of heel, evil, cultish faction, and they really don't ever accomplish much. So they basically brainwashed Rhino at some point, and Rhino never contacted Heath while Heath was off with an injury, despite them being best friends and tag partners. So now Heath is back, and we're wondering if Rhino can overcome this brainwashing. Will he choose to join Heath? Of course he will. It's plainly obvious, which is one of my annoyances with this storyline. Or will he stay with Violent by Design? Of course he won't. Um, so, sorry, I was not a fan of the build for this. As much as I enjoyed the build to some matches on this show, this was not one of them. So we get Violent by Design being represented here by Diener and Joe Doring and Eric Young is obviously with them, taking on Heath versus Question Mark. Because the question is will Rhino join with Heath or will he stay united with Violent by Design? As if you can't tell from the build for this match. So my highlight of this match possibly was Joe Doring entering. He's a huge man. So he's just a hoss. He's got, I think he's like 6'6 or 6'7, kind of like a build like JBL back in the day if you're an older listener. So he comes out wearing this giant fur coat as he has before, but I don't remember. He's also this time wearing a really large fur hat. I felt like that was new. I could be wrong. Again, I'm not normally the detail man. That's why I have my son here for most things because he notices all this kind of thing much more than I do. I thought he looked absolutely ridiculous yet awesome at the same time. It's one of those things that you can only wear if you are a large ass-kicking man who can sort of defend himself when people want to make fun of this. So somehow he pulled it off despite looking quite ridiculous. So Heath at this point, of course, comes out alone because we have to build the suspense and he keeps looking back to see if Rhino's coming out and Rhino is not. So the match starts. Heath has no partner. Wow, shocking. So Violent by Design attack him right away. For, as the last time he's sort of turning to look for Rhino and they sort of attack him as he's momentarily distracted there. Heath then controls Diener early, but he still has no partner. Diener ends up taking control, hits a swinging neckbreaker, tags in the humongous Joe Doring. Heath then fires up against Diener a bit later, sends Doring to the floor before a double clothesline to take Diener and Heath down. So that both men are down and surprise, surprise, Rhino's music plays but he's just walking to the ring, so we still have no idea who he's going to join with. He doesn't seem to have any sense of urgency, just kind of wandering to the ring, but surprise, surprise, he goes to Heath's corner, demands a tag from Heath, and Heath obliges. Rhino, of course, cleans house with a spear to Diener, a belly to belly to Doring, which is kind of impressive as Doring is a huge man, as I mentioned. We get a gore to Diener, and mercifully, this is over in five minutes, and These friends are reunited. They hug, Rhino and Heath hug in the center of the ring after this match. So this match, man, was honestly about as predictable as it gets, which is why I did not have any interest in it. Uh, Impact telegraphed this angle. It wasn't that interesting for me to begin with. The match itself was really short and really basic. No real highlights here. This was a story that could have easily stayed on TV and not made it to the show. It's just another example of violent by design cutting these promos and looking really tough and trying to be menacing and like they're this sort of like a cult that just never wins and never beats anyone. I know they had a very brief tag team title run but on either side of that they really don't accomplish anything. They Eric Young cuts really nice promos but there's never anything to back it up so you're just kind of like tired of listening to it frankly. Um, everything since Heath's return as well has felt pretty uninspired to me. And this match and the outcome of this match was no different, right? It was all just kind of paint by numbers. This is what we're going to do. Um, so, And we're going to learn that Impact is definitely capable of a swerve, but this was not. This was basically exactly what you would expect. On the plus side, it was short. So this is one match I, I didn't feel was worthy if this is your biggest pay-per-view of the year. I don't feel like this was a match that needed to be on there, but that's just me. Maybe other people loved it. Then we move into recaps, sort of highlights of Awesome Kong's Hall of Fame induction, which took place on the pre-show. I won't get into that because it was pretty standard. And also they sort of highlight Jordan Grace winning the Digital Media Championship early in the night on the pre-show as well. So just a rundown of the pre-show basically for anybody that didn't catch it, I guess. Then we go back to Gia Miller. Now she's talking to Jordan Grace. Jordan is thrilled to be the first Knockouts Triple Crown champion. Because she's had the Knockouts title, the tag titles, and now the digital, whatever it's called. I call it the internet title. It's not that. But I'll probably default to that because digital media title just is a tough one for me to grasp. So the internet title, more than likely, when I talk about it. Uh, She says she couldn't have done it without Rachel Ellering, who will win the Call Your Shot gauntlet later tonight, she predicts. But Moose and Morrissey interrupt. And Moose says Ellering won't win, and Morrissey says um, that he's going to win or something, and Moose basically says he likes his style, because Moose and Morrissey have this tenuous alliance They're they're not friends for sure as Morrissey's whole gimmick is there are no friends in wrestling and everyone will turn their back on you as soon as they get the chance and each of these big men have sort of acknowledged that they will turn on the other uh, if they get the chance to win this gauntlet match which i don't have a problem with it kind of makes sense i like them as a monster heel team but i also see probably something coming in this gauntlet match so we get a, a brief video package to explain the call your shot gauntlet match so for People who don't know, it's basically a Royal Rumble match with everyone coming in in every two minutes. Nope, not every two minutes. I didn't time it, but my God, I felt like some of these were 30 or 40 seconds. Excuse me. But I have no issue with that because one of my concerns about this match was the length, but we'll get there. So the final two will fight to a pinfall, so that's the difference between a Royal Rumble. It's over the top rope to the floor to be eliminated until there's two left. And then they fight to a pinfall, which I actually prefer because it opens up the opportunity to have a nice little mini match or full match. If you keep interesting people till the end, they can sort of have a match tacked on at the end. But we'll see how Impact handles that. So the winner of this wins a trophy, like a small cup, that is basically like a money in the bank. You can cash that in for any title of your choosing, I guess, at any time. So then we head into the Call Your Shot gauntlet match now. I have a whole bunch of notes for this but it's mostly just somebody's in and somebody's out because there wasn't a ton going on so I may speed up my talking here to get through this a little bit quickly because um, not to spoil anything there was not much of consequence in this match so Chris Sabin enters first as we know from the battle royal on Impact TV and we also know that Morrissey will enter last so they had a battle royal to get into the battle royal uh, interesting enough where the winner of it comes in last for the gauntlet and the second place comes in first so saban's in first and then rocky romero is a surprise entrance at number two he's definitely an accomplished veteran i've seen a ton of him over the years in various places new japan and other independent places so i guess it's a nice surprise it's nothing that moves the needle it's nothing that you think he's going to win or anything like that it's just hey there's a guy we don't normally see not a really big needle mover we get holds and counters and dueling drop kick attempts to no advantage you know, they show respect for each other's abilities and shake hands. Then we get lots of rope running by those two, and Fulton is the next man in. Fulton obviously overpowers both until the smaller men of Sabin and Romero agree to work together and try to eliminate Fulton, but they can't. Rohit comes in next. He's on fire with quick offense to the two smaller men before he sort of tries to make a quick alliance with Fulton to stomp some more on those baby faces. I love Rohit. He had a nice quick flurry here to start. I mean, highlight of this match is is a strong word. I don't really think there were any, but uh, he had a nice little flurry. So Tasha Steels is next, and there's no way uh, that they are following the two-minute intervals at this point, I noticed, because I thought Rohit... This is one where I wrote down, like, he was maybe in there for 40 seconds. So I think they're... taking some liberties with that 2 minute intervals but I am totally fine with that. We need to get this match over and done with in my opinion. So Tasha short, obviously joins the Heel Alliance and she starts stomping on the faces as well. Rohit somewhere in here eliminates Romero for the first elimination. Rachel Ellering enters next. She immediately goes after Tasha steals with some high impact moves. Rohit is then on the apron, trying to eliminate Fulton by the hair. So Fulton's got his back to the ropes inside the ring, and Rohit is pulling on Fulton's long hair, trying to flip him over the top rope to the floor. It's not working, but Saban and Ellering come over, grab Fulton's legs, and flip him over, and he is eliminated here. Savannah Evans enters next. She goes after Ellering right away. They have a bit of a history going, I guess. And Impact has this interesting sort of technique lately, where they are having intergender matches, but the men almost never get any sort of offense in on the women. There was one where Rohit hit um, Chelsea Green with a nice flash knee, but other than that, it's very minimal. It's all about the men teasing offense to the women, and the women being one step ahead and escaping it sort of thing, which I find frustrating if you're going to continuously put the men and women in the same matches, then let them interact and let them wrestle, like they do with Jordan Grace, because Jordan Grace it doesn't matter male female who she's facing she looks great but they seem to sort of walk this line of we're gonna put them together but we're never gonna have the men land any offense and it sort of takes me out of it there was a little bit in this um, gauntlet match but uh, again it's just one of the issues i have with impact sometimes if you're going to do that great but let's have them interact and actually wrestle so ellering eliminates evans with a pump kick to savannah on the apron got her out of there fairly quickly Johnny Swinger enters as sort of one of our comedy entrants here. He sort of flirts with Tasha and flexes and things and then attacks with strikes. Uh, She attacks him with strikes, sorry. Melina enters next. She goes right after Tasha Steals Swinger is, again, posing for a while as the demon, really, from WCW. This is one of the surprise entrants, but I don't know, A, who would even recognize this. You have to be a pretty big wrestling nerd like myself. I was alive and well and what i was always a wcw fan to be honest i preferred it to wwe for quite a while in the early 90s all pretty much to the end i mean 99 gets a bit rough in wcw clearly but i don't know who a who's going to know who this is and if you do who could possibly care the demon was a very very mediocre at best wrestler and the gimmick was just he was a kiss demon right so Again, I guess it's a surprise but not very exciting. So Swinger takes out a notepad and a pen from his fanny pack and he wants an autograph from the Demon but of course the Demon uses this uh, opportunity to eliminate Swinger from the match. Brian Myers enters next. He has VSK and Zicky Dice with him. So he has this faction called the Learning Tree. He just on the past episode of Impact cut two members of that including Sam Beale, who was... Um, his longest partner, who'd been with him the longest, I guess, and is sort of playing the immature, well, naive, at least, sort of young wrestler. So he's got the two remaining members of the Learning Tree with him. So Myers and Demon face off. Matt Cardona enters next, takes out Myers' henchman on the way to the ring. Uh, so Laredo Kid then enters. He attacks Rohit with some cool, quick offense for a little breath of fresh air in this pretty much standard, plodding, battle royal offensive display here. Melina eliminates Steels and Myers eliminates Melina as she was sort of admiring she took too long to admire her elimination of Steels and Myers took advantage of that and flipped her over the ropes as well. Sam Beal enters next. He hesitates for a moment and then even though Brian Myers has just fired him from his little faction, he does help Myers attack Cardona and um sort of an interesting little twist there. But then Rich Swan is next to enter. He goes after Sam Beal, then Myers. Beal saves Myers from a Swan elimination then decides to eliminate Myers himself as Ace Austin enters next and eliminates the Demon after a head kick and a low bridge. So this is sort of Beal getting a little bit of revenge on Myers for cutting him from his group. He looked like he was going to work with Myers, but then took the opportunity to eliminate him, which I like that little spot, actually. So Moose enters next. He power bombs Beal over the ropes onto some people. And I say some people because I don't know who they were or where they came from. And I even rewound a little bit to try and see. And the camera, again, it's really dark at ringside. So I don't know if it was VSK and Zicky Dice. I don't think it was. I'm not sure who it was, but he clearly needed something to land on. You can't be powerbombed out of the ring to the floor. So there were some people there to take the hit, but Beal is eliminated from it. Eddie Edwards enters next. He eliminates Laredo Kid and goes after Moose because they have a bitter feud going as well. Sort of Morrissey and Moose and Eddie Edwards and Alicia have some sort of long-standing thing going on right now. So Moose escapes to the floor, but he's not eliminated. Eddie Edwards hits a suicide dive, but then Moose grabs him and power bombs him on the apron. Alicia enters next. She's Eddie Edwards' wife in real life and in the show. She has two kendo sticks. Moose meets her on the ramp and ends up being hit by both Eddie and Alicia with kendo sticks here. Morrissey then enters at number 20. Alicia and Eddie greet him with kendo shots as well. Morrissey finally catches one of the strikes from Alicia. Uh, gorilla presses her easily overhead. She's like a 100-pound woman, and he's like a humongous man. Dumps her on the floor. This time it is clearly on top of VSK. and Well, not clearly. I'm pretty sure it was VSK and Zicky Dice on this one. So Alicia's eliminated. Moose then hits Morrissey by accident with a kendo shot before Morrissey eliminates Eddie Edwards with a big boot, sending him to the floor. Rohit tries to join up with Morrissey and Moose, but obviously they just eliminate him instead. Sabin then eliminates Austin, and we're down to five. We've got Sabin, Madman Fulton, Moose, Morrissey, um, Matt Cardona, and Rich Swan. So Sabin is eliminated quickly after that by the big man and Swan starts to take the fight to Morrissey. Morrissey catches Swan on his shoulders, struggles to dump him over the ropes as Moose comes over to eliminate both of them. So it is kind of what they talked about. Moose and Morrissey admitted they would take the opportunity to eliminate the other despite their sort of tenuous alliance. So the opportunity presented itself to Moose. He took advantage, eliminated Morrissey and Swan. So that leaves Moose and Matt Cardona as the final two. So here's where I'm thinking, okay, I like Moose. Cardona's fine. He can wrestle. We'll get a little bit of a match here at the end of this, even though it's been really long. But we don't. Moose lands a big boot. Cardona hits a huge clothesline that sort of turns Moose inside out. He goes for the radio silence and misses. Gets speared by Moose, who gets the pinfall and wins this mediocre match in about half an hour. Um, So you can tell I wasn't enjoying this match. Nothing special here. It ate up a ton of time. A half hour match. Longest match on the show. The surprises were really minimal, right? Demon and um, Rocky Romero, that is pretty not impressive surprises, in my opinion. Not really anyone exciting, and the action was really standard Battle royal stuff. The ring is full of people. There's not enough room for anyone to really do anything. Uh, Even the final two, where you're like, okay, we've got an empty ring. We've got a couple guys that can wrestle. No, it was like a minute of them. Um, They barely did anything, and it was over. I do like that Moose won because I've always been saying for a while now that I think Moose is somebody that Impact should really be focusing on. But this match did nothing for me. I, like, almost nothing memorable happened here. And it was really long, so I don't understand. They need to find a way. I don't know if it's cutting it down from 20 people or just have something more exciting or bigger surprises. But this was just a bit of a a bit of a dud right in the middle of this show that took up a lot of time. I mean, it's necessary, obviously, um, but not really fun to watch for me we've got gia she's back and now she's with heath heath is telling her that he knew rhino would show up at the right time and he makes some sort of reference to lord of the rings that i don't understand and i think he sort of botched it as well he had to sort of correct himself at one point there um rhino says heath never gave up on him and now heath can tell his kids that uncle rhino is back and heath does yell that into the camera to end this little promo here We then get a package recapping the tag team championship storyline to this point where the Good Brothers have been gone basically to AEW and they've been sending in these ridiculous little videos that they seem to just make on their phones on the fly without any sort of prepping just to sort of remind us that they exist and are the champions and they've sort of been waiting for opponents to step up at Impact to face them as they're sort of gone. So Damore through, I don't know if you listened to me talk about it, it was sort of ridiculous he has made this into a three-way match because he couldn't make a decision about who won a match between the Bullet Club and Finn Juice, even though one of the issues was a the legal a non-legal man was pinning somebody. But Demore seemed to completely ignore that and instead made this a triple threat match. So that is the next match on the show. It's the Impact World Tag Team Championship match featuring the Good Brothers who are defending. That's Carl Anderson and Doc Gallows taking on Finn Juice, which is David Finley and Juice Robinson, normally of New Japan fame, and the Bullet Club, which is the newest member of Bullet Club, Club Chris Bay, and the big man, uh, Hikaleo. So Bay and Finley start off really quickly. They go back and forth before Finn Juice tag in and do some basic double teaming here. The big men face off briefly, and this is supposed to be like an exciting thing because it's Gallows and Hikaleo, but Gallows is really old and limited at this point, and Hickaleo is really young and green at this point, so it didn't really appeal to me personally. The Good Brothers take their turn in control of Finlay. Hickaleo blind tags Carl Anderson when uh, Finlay finally fights back. We get Hickaleo with a really long delayed vertical suplex to David Finlay. Juice takes on everyone at one point as he gets in there before hitting a fireman's carry gut buster to Chris Bay that looked good for a two count. We get a superplex splash combination by Finn Juice to Chris Bay, but Carl Anderson sneaks in, throws Robinson out of the win, sorry, out of the ring, and steals the pin and the win. So the good brothers, God, the good brothers, they retain in just a hair under 10 minutes. So I hate, and I don't use that word very often, I hate the result of this match. There is nothing more stale, in my opinion, than the Good Brothers. They're really not even in this promotion for weeks on end. They travel with AEW. Their ridiculous shtick never changes. They're here to amuse themselves and some of their friends. They're here to sell merchandise. They never lose an impact anyways. And nobody comes away from a match with them gaining anything. Hikaleo and Gallows facing off was supposed to be a big moment in this match, but it wasn't. The build to this didn't make it feel like a big match at all, and the match itself did nothing to change that for me. I do enjoy Chris Bay against either member of Finn Juice, and the flurry before the finish, because the Good Brothers were not involved here, was good. But everything else is just sort of there, and by far the least interesting team won. So I don't think this was a bad match, but I personally didn't get into it. The crowd at the show seemed to get into it more. They even broke into a This Is Awesome chant at one point, which somewhat surprised me. But it's just more of the same from the Good Brothers. They're just going to dominate and hold these titles and make nobody look good and amuse themselves and sell their merch. I don't know what value, honestly, Impact Wrestling's getting from these guys. They I consider them more of an AEW talent at this point because I see them on AEW sort of in the background of elite things all the time. And then I rarely see them actually in Impact doing anything. So I really don't understand this. Like I said before, I think the Bullet Club... Needed some sort of legitimacy in their time and impact. Putting the belts on them could have helped. Finn Juice, whatever. I, I don't know if the belts helped them or not. I just don't understand the love of the Good Brothers. I feel like the Good Brothers, honestly, in their contract, I feel like they have some sort of power to make matches and decide finishes. If they, I don't know if they do. But it certainly feels like they only lose when they want to lose. And tonight was not that night. But anyways, enough about... My loathing of the good brothers, mostly Gallows. Anderson still has some some ability left in him. But uh, them together is just, I, I, I can't stand it anymore. But anyways, we move into a vignette for Minoru Suzuki, who's coming soon to Impact, which just feels crazy to me. Minoru Suzuki and Impact, we'll see how that goes. Um, but that's interesting. I'm hoping he can pick up some wins finally. Um, Gia then talks to Christian ahead of his title defense. He says Josh sacrificed his X Division title, but Christian has sacrificed everything when he first came to Impact and helped build the company years ago. He's not ready to pass the torch yet, and he doesn't think Josh has proven he has what it takes. The headgear will keep him from hearing the disappointment from his fans and his family, which was Not a very babyface line, I don't think, but I thought it was kind of funny and clever, so I have no issue with it. I thought this was a solid promo from Christian with a good finish. Again, I'm really looking forward to this match, and I am by no means a Christian fan. I actually am not a big fan of him at this point, but again, the build to this match has been great. Both he and Alexander are sort of like a little bit antagonistic towards each other because each thinks they are honestly better than the other one, so I kind of like the way they've handled this so far. We then get a video summarizing the feud between Deanna Purrazzo and Mickey James, basically talking about the attack of Deanna to Mickey at NWA 73, the attack by Deanna to Mickey at Mickey's home in the as they sort of brawled through a barn and into the farm. Um, there's also a non-contact clause that was breached but not enforced by Scott more on Impact this past week that kind of bugged me a little bit. And then the pick your poison matches where each woman got to pick an opponent for the other heading into this match. So we then transition into the Impact Knockouts Championship match. So it is Deanna Purrazzo, who's been the champion forever, uh, an amazing title reign for her so far, taking on Mickey James, who's coming in from NWA. Again, really enjoyed the build for this. Uh, so Diana, on her entrance, I don't know if she's worn it before. Again, it's me noticing ring gear or entrance gear, which is rare, but she's wearing like a crazy hat that makes it it's kind of like a Catholic bishop's hat or something as part of her entrance gear. I'm not a fan, but again, it's just, I guess, to draw attention to her and to sort of, she's peacocking, if you will, a little bit here. Um, I don't know if she's worn it before, but it looked it looked kind of strange to me. Anyways, doesn't matter. Into the action, Mickey James attacks with a dropkick as the ref is holding up the title still, so even before the bell rings. So um, there's a Th- Thez press off the apron to the floor by Mickey James. As Stryker here, interestingly, tries to tell us that I think D'Lo's like, has the match even started? And Stryker goes, yes, the bell rang before the intros, so the match is officially underway. So at that point, I'm like, that is a very convenient thing because I don't think that's how wrestling works. So, But I guess for their purposes here, they needed to say that, but that's going to change in a minute anyways. So Deanna's, uh for a moment, sells her left leg after being run into the steps on the outside. Then they battle beside the ramp for quite a while. So D'Lo has to correct Stryker here and say the bell never rang that's why the ref is not counting as they fight on the floor because they've definitely been out of the ring long enough if the bell had gone this would have been a double count out so D'Lo has to sort of jump in here and save Stryker from his ridiculous the bell rang before the introductions comment. So Diana drags Mickey back to the ring by her hair, hits a pump kick at ringside, and then she rolls Mickey into the ring and the bell does actually sound so the match officially starts. So Diana maintains the advantage she sort of got uh, on the outside for quite a while. She continues to just beat down on Mickey James. We get a snap suplex by Purrazzo for two, then Diana counters a Rana uh, from Mickey into a really nice powerbomb for another near fall. So Mickey starts to show some signs of life, but then they hit a running crossbody, sort of colliding mid-sections, and both women are down, and the referee's counting them. I think he got to about an eight count. Then there's a strike exchange as they're sort of kneeling on the mat, then up to standing for more of a strike exchange. Mickey James uh, finally spends some time on offense. She gets a rana, a flapjack, and a fez press off the top for a two count. Deanna counters a DDT with a pump kick for two. Moments later, Mickey counters Perrazzo into her tornado DDT for a really near fall. Commentary are talking a lot about Mickey looking dazed and out of it. Like, oh, look in her eyes. She's clearly confused. She's dazed. She's... Um, Not making quick decisions. They talked about it quite a bit here. I guess it's to sort of build up. I don't know. I don't know what the point was, but they talked about it a lot. We get a mule kick by Mickey, but Deanna gets an armbar and then transitions into the Venus de Milo, but Mickey James is close to the ropes, so she gets a rope break. We get a nasty-looking Queen's Gambit by Perazzo as she sort of pulls James through the ropes, almost like it looked like she was setting up for some sort of draping move, but she pulls her through, hits a nice Queen's Gambit. Mickey surprisingly kicks out of that. Mickey then jumps onto the ref as Perazzo sort of pulls him in front. So there's a ref bump here. Deanna then takes that opportunity to go and get a chair. But Mickey lands a kick and the ref is quickly back to count a two count. Deanna then violently pulls Mickey off the top rope by the arm. But Mickey lands a back kick and hits her tornado DDT and picks up the win after over 13 minutes. And we have a new knockouts champion finally. I don't know. I think Perrazzo's been the champ for over a year at this point. So uh, we have a new Knockouts Champion, and I mean, I thought this was an awesome match. Honestly, I I didn't do it justice in summarizing, recapping, and giving you highlights. I really enjoyed this. I didn't want Deanna Perrazzo to lose, but if she has to lose, this is the type of opponent the type of match and the type of build that she needs to lose it in right this is a legendary opponent we've had a really strong build to this match it was a really strong match where diana dominated a lot of it so if she's going to lose this is sort of i think the way she needs to lose i think diana looked great here on the attack her varied clean realistic looking offense mickey did a really good job as the babyface taking a beating and selling for most of us and just really trying to survive long enough, trying to catch Deanna somehow. I'm not sure that there's any women better than Deanna Perazzo working in North America right now, and her title reign was pretty epic. I would love to see the Forbidden Door, as I'm getting tired of hearing about, I would love to see her show up in AEW and work with people like Thunder Rosa or Serena Deeb or Britt Baker. I thought this match was excellent honestly a really well done feud in general for impact they deserve some credit and at this point i really love this match so i'm hoping the main event is at least this satisfied we then they a little bit of a whatever a graphic here letting us know that hard to kill will be a pay-per-view i think it was january 8th and it'll be taking place in texas then we get a video package recap of the story leading up to the main event Uh, I thought it was really good, but I honestly, it's almost too much at this point, and you've heard me numerous times in this show talk about how much I love the build to this match, but I think we're ready to go at this point. We didn't need another reminder. We've heard from both people um, during this show already. I think this was maybe just a step too far, but anyways, uh, and Impact had a ton of stuff on it as well a couple days ago, so I thought this was a little bit of overkill, but I still love the build in general up to this. So we get our main event. It is the Impact World Championship match. Christian Cage defending against Josh Alexander. So Josh Alexander, wife and son, are at ringside. So for me, and I was this is reading my notes as I typed them at the moment. I didn't go back. I thought that was really telegraphing a win for Alexander. It doesn't really bother me because I. it feels like that's the way this build has been presented it's all for Alexander to win and sort of be the face of impact wrestling and have the torch passed to him so it didn't bother me but I felt like that was telegraphing what was going to happen a little bit so we get a lengthy lock up to start grappling and Alexander gets Cage's ankle for the ankle lock briefly as Christian gets to the ropes here um, Alexander shoves Christian off the top rope to the floor sort of aggressively follows him out there and lands some chops We get a backbreaker by Alexander a bridging northern Lights suplex by Alexander that looked nice Cage counters a c4 attempt into a backdrop to the floor. Cage then sends Alexander into the guardrail to escape an ankle lock, and the momentum is now shifting towards Christian Cage. He hits a neckbreaker, some punches and chops and Irish whips by Cage as the the, the pace slows a little bit here. Alexander finally fights back um, with a German suplex, um, sends Cage into the turnbuckles, into the corner. Looks like a dangerous spot, looked really good, so Germans him right into the corner. Um, a bunch more striking, Alexander hits a backdrop and a high boot, mounted punches in the corner by Cage, but Alexander picks him up and hits a power bomb onto the knee, which is usually his setup for the C4 spike, and I do like the power bomb onto the knee, it's a cool looking move. We get a reverse DDT, standard Christian, and he calls for the kill switch, but a series of counters ensues, to, leading to some near pinfall at, um, here. Signature Cage offense like the standing choke on the ropes and then a roll through slam and a second rope knee to the head of Alexander. We get a tornado DDT by Cage for a near fall. We then get the chaos theory by Alexander, which I love, followed by a cross face. Then he transitions to an ankle lock and a sharpshooter before uh, Christian gets a rope break. Alexander misses a moonsault. Cage spears him for a two count. Alexander shoved off the top. Cage lands a, spa- a splash for another two count. We get a C4 countered into... They called it a backdrop driver. I don't think this was the cleanest move of the match. I'm not quite sure who hit what here. It was one of those, like, I'm not sure who took the punishment here. But anyways, Christian's arm is hurt. He abandons a kill switch attempt here. We get an ankle lock by Alexander. Christian eventually has to tap out. After almost 19 minutes of action. And as I predicted and hoped, Josh Alexander is the new Impact Wrestling Championship champion. Sorry, Alexander is celebrating with his wife and son in the ring. Matt Stryker is crying on commentary as he's talking about this win. And I mean, maybe a little bit overboard for Stryker looking back, but in the moment it didn't really bother me. And then out of the blue, Moose runs down, cashes in the call your shot cup. The match starts, he spears Josh Alexander and pins him to win the title as Josh Alexander's wife and kid basically collapse onto Alexander in tears, which was an amazing image. So I'm first going to talk about the match, and then I'm going to talk about the aftermath of this, because I had some conflicting emotions, um, my initial reaction versus my reaction a couple moments later, so we'll get to that. But the match first, really good match possibly excellent match. Great main event. I think I preferred the women's match overall. I probably choose that as my match of the night. But this was a very close second and still a really highly entertaining match. Josh Alexander is a beast. He looked like one here. Just a ton of variety to his offense. It all looks intense and painful and he doesn't really make mistakes. Christian also did a great job. Uh, He made helped to make Alexander feel like a bigger deal than he ever was before throughout this feud right he's sort of helped build Alexander into this legitimate singles competitor we know a lot of Alexander's backstory and his history and his upbringing and his family so we've he's done a really good job of making Alexander feel like a much bigger star than he has in the past sort of shedding that you're the silent killer in a tag team to like you are a singles competitor with a sort of a A complex backstory so this was another feud that impact got very right in my opinion and the payoff of this match was really good and um, now we'll get to the aftermath Um, so as for the aftermath for a second or two I was kind of upset Because I must admit, Impact really got me with this swerve. I did not see this coming, and I pride myself on predicting most things. Like, if you listen to our reviews of main roster WWE pay-per-views, I don't watch the shows weekly, and I predict, I would suggest, I'm like 80 to 90% correct in my pay-per-view predictions, sometimes 100% on some shows. So I, I pride myself in seeing things coming. I didn't see this coming. Um... A few, so I was disappointed because I'm the guy that's been saying, Yes, this amazing build. It really looks like they're passing the torch to J- Josh Alexander, which is what I want. Somebody who is like quintessentially an impact guy. He's not known for really being in any other major promotion. He's fantastic. He's like kind of Kurt Angle ish to me a little bit in terms of the way he works and things. So I was like, Yes, we're passing the torch. This is the beginning of the Josh Alexander era. And then they just ripped that away from me, right? So at first I was a little bit upset, but then within moments, right, I realized this was a pretty awesome moment. And I think it worked really well, and I credit Impact for taking this risk and doing this. So all the build and the presence of his family make this even more dramatic. And those final images of his wife and son, like... On top of the fallen Josh Alexander's after he had the title for like less than a minute probably, I thought was awesome. And if done right, Alexander's redemption arc and revenge story could be amazing, right? Like he can still have that moment and still be the face of this company this is just yet another obstacle in his way that he needs to overcome because they've started telling this story of he's been overcoming obstacles during life like um, just growing up in poverty um, being bullied breaking his neck having multiple neck injuries where he might not have come back from so this is just another obstacle in that story that he needs to overcome so in the meantime moose is a credible heel champion and his actions make total sense here too so much so that i feel sort of dumb for not thinking that this was a possibility um, didn't enter my mind, I gotta be honest. So I kind of feel silly because this makes total sense in Mo- with Moose's character and winning the cup tonight, right? So I've been saying for... At least a year probably longer the impact should pull the trigger on moose and so maybe that's what they're doing here he can have a run as a heel challenger or sorry heel champion with a super baby face champ or challenger sorry um sort of chasing him for a while so i think a lengthy well done moose alexander feud at the top of impact's card honestly could create some legitimacy and could maybe get some new eyes on the product in my opinion these are two really interesting talents that are sort of known for just being in impact right we're no longer living off of christian who works for aew and is a wwe cast off from way back these are two guys that people associate with impact and hopefully they can draw some interest from people that don't watch the product and get some new eyes in that direction so i actually i wanted the era of alexander to begin i really really did and they let me think that that's what I was getting and then they yanked it away from me and I actually respect it. They took a risk here uh, and I think it worked. And I mean, it's going to depend how they book it in the next month or months or however long they wanna drag out this Alexander redemption. And if it's handled right, it could be months of entertainment leading to that Alexander reign that I wanted anyways. They could make it even sweeter for me to get what I want a little bit later on. So I think the main event itself was excellent. The swerve afterwards was really great. It caught me off guard, but I really do like it. I think they took a risk here. I think it delivered, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they do. And I've sort of got a little bit of confidence because the build to this match and the Diana Perrazzo mickey James match was so good and kind of simple and realistic feeling that hopefully that's the the route they're gonna go with Moose Alexander. I'm really hopeful that this leads to good stuff and some entertaining impact television, but we'll see. So overall thoughts and a letter grade for this show. There was some dead weight on this show, for sure, I thought. But there was also some really good stuff and what was good good enough for me to enjoy the show overall, I will say that. They, again, deserve some credit for really good build of the two final matches, the Knockouts Champion, the Impact Championship, Um, Only I think AEW has done anything better in terms of long-term storytelling that I've seen lately in North America. So the opener I don't think was amazing, but it was good enough. We got the debut of the Inspiration, and we got New Champions, so that was something interesting right off the bat. Then we moved into the Violent by Design Heath Rhino match that was super predictable to me, Um, and it wasn't really anything surprising here. It was pretty much a waste of time, but They only wasted five minutes of our time. Could have easily been on TV instead of here. The X Division match was really fun as expected. Felt it could have benefited from a few more minutes. I might have gotten rid of that Violent by Design match or pulled a couple minutes from the gauntlet match and added it here. I wish either two of the other competitors had won, but the match itself was really good. Then the Call Your Shot gauntlet, other than being necessary for the surprise sort of swerve at the end, was a dud for me. The worst thing on this show, I think, probably. 30 minutes long, brought no exciting debuts or returns, no real memorable spots. It's going to hurt the overall grade, unfortunately, because it was by far the longest match on the show, possibly the worst. I mean, for me, it's between this and the Violent by Design match. And since this one was six times longer than that, I'd probably have to go with this as my low point of the night. The tag team championship match for me was pretty ordinary. Got less than 10 minutes despite being a three-way match. Half of the talent in there, being the Good Brothers and Hikaleo, don't really impress me. So I thought the match was just okay. The final two matches, on the other hand, were really strong. With Parazzo James being my match of the night, only by a little bit. We got satisfying payoffs to both of those matches. A great swerve in the main event. Um, so it made the final third, I guess, of this show pretty great, I thought. So overall, I'm going to give this show a solid Canadian B Um, because I do have a bunch of American listeners that's about a seven and a half out of ten up here so I thought it was a good match or a good show sorry I would recommend people check out the X Division match the Knockouts Championship match and the Impact World Championship matches those three matches were excellent and sort of really bump boost the rating of this show overall don't worry about the gauntlet match you don't need it don't worry about the tag team title match you don't need it don't worry about Violent by Design and whatever match you don't need that either But those three matches um, for the major championships in this company um, were excellent, and I highly recommend checking those out. All right, well, that's, wow, that's me talking by myself for just over an hour. So if you've made it this far, (laughs) thanks for listening. Um, Again, I will be back probably today. take a look at this saturday's aew dynamite look for that under episode 66b i believe and then either tonight or tomorrow i'll get around to talking about some ring of honor that will be another solo mission my son will be joining me for the aew review and like i always like to say honestly thanks to anyone who's taken the time to listen to myself or myself and my son talk about wrestling It's just a super fun hobby we've developed. I really look forward to coming down here and just talking about whatever I've watched in the world of wrestling. So if you enjoyed this, I appreciate it. If you'd like or share or subscribe or comment, if you'd like to reach us, fnswrestling at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from anybody. I, at this point, respond to any comments I get on any platform. fns underscore wrestling underscore podcast on Instagram is another possibility. Or if you're one of the few listening on youtube despite us not putting up any video with it still thanks for listening and leave any comments there and i'll get back to you so that's going to wrap it up for me and again keep an eye out for some more podcasts probably at least one more coming out today we hope to see you back there for that one and until then take care